Hello and welcome to episode 50, that's right, 5050 um, of Mike's Open Journal. Uh, and wow, welcome to the podcast. Um, apologies for episode 49. For those of you that listened, yes, there were two parts. Yes, part two plays before part one. I know, I know. But did you also notice I didn't change it because I don't care? <laughs> Um, yeah, so apologies for that. Um, I'm not too sure. Well, I do know how that happened. I just put the wrong bit in the wrong bit. Um, you know, sometimes stuff like that happens. Who knows? Okay. Um, so yes. Wow. Thank you very much for continuing to listen to Mike's Open Journal. It is awesome to still be here and be talking to you guys. Wow. 50 episodes. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I'm really pleased that, you know, we're still here. We're still talking about mental health. We do have the odd spin-offs into different episodes and things like that as well with the mobile mics, but it's really great that uh, the podcast is still going, that you guys are listening in, and um, we're still getting people come forward, uh, willing to talk and share their story on Mike's Open Journal, so that's really, really great. Again, if you are interested in coming on in the future, please do get in contact through Twitter, uh, where I am at Mike underscore Douglas underscore, or you can get the podcast at open underscore journal underscore. Uh, as always, um, all the information you need for me and for the podcast is over at mikesopenjournal.com as well. So you can find out lots of information there. But on to today's episode, episode number 50. Can you tell I'm excited? Episode number 50, people. Um, so for this very special episode, I do have a very special guest, uh, Marnie Grundman, who is going to be talking us through some of her own story. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have her on the podcast uh, and talk about mental health, particularly with young people, um, those people that may be in really difficult situations that they are trying to get out of. So we do talk about uh, childhood abuse, um, young people running away from home, some of the trauma that can go on around that as well. Marnie's uh, social media links uh, and all those sorts of things are at the end of the podcast, um, but you can go and visit her website, which is uh, moneygrimman.com, um, so that's M A R N. I-E-G-R-U-N-D-M-A-N.com. Uh, and there's loads of information there about um, her own story, some of the other um, speaking and promotion activities that she's done as well. Uh, and she also has her own book out, uh, which you can order um, through the website, I think, um, and find out a little bit more information there as well. Um, as I say, we are going to be talking a little bit about um, childhood abuse, uh, so maybe a possible trigger warning for some people. We don't go into any um, extreme details or anything like that, um, but just to make you aware, that's the kind of content that we're going to have on today. Um, I was really fortunate to be able to talk to Marnie for, I think we spoke for just over an hour, a really enjoyable conversation, uh, and a chance to talk to someone that I've not hugely spoken to um, before. We've had a couple of emails, um, and that's been about it, so it's a chance for, for me to hear from Marnie about her experience as well as you guys. Um, so I'm very thankful to her for, for coming onto the podcast um, and talking about something that I don't think is widely spoken about. Um, obviously here at Mike's Open Journal, um, we are really trying to focus in on, on mental health and promotion and awareness of that. Um, I think Marnie does that really well. It's a different type of story. It's a different type of um, conversation. Uh, and you know what? That's why it's really important um, because it's different because it's not something that's always spoken about. Um, so a big thank you to, to Marnie for coming on the podcast. I know she's done stuff um, in America, Canada, um, where she's from, and also across Europe as well. Um, so she has done other pieces of promotional work on TV, radio, uh, and podcasts. So there's other bits of her story um, that you can find out about if you would like to. But I do recommend definitely going over to the website um, and having a look at some of the information uh, and signposting that goes on there as well. I'm going to drop you guys into the conversation. Um, as always, a big thank you to you for listening. Um, if you do want to follow up after the podcast, um, please make sure you go over to the website, mikesopenjournal.com, or um, drop myself or Marnie um, a message on Twitter, which is our preferred platforms, mainly because it's the best one. Um, so you can obviously drop over there um, and have a chat with us as well. Okay, Thank you very much for listening, and I will drop you guys in now. Just make sure I've got a 
pen and a bit of paper. I've done it a couple of times where, um, like, you get someone to sort of talk about something and you go over a couple of things and I'm like, oh, I want to ask that, but I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I forget. <laughs> yeah, I can see that happening. You get in a flow, you know? Yeah, it's really annoying. I've, I've, uh, I've done a couple of episodes with two guys over in America and... I've got to the stage now where I know when we're talking because there's three of us as well. Um, and there is a little bit more like turn taking when you're talking mm -hmm. and I'm like, I have to have something to note down on because it always comes around to like, you get a chance to talk and you're like, damn it. I forgot what the original <laughs> question was that we were all talking about. Cause just got so into that person's answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do that. So, yeah, it's easy to blank out. <laughs> I know. Sometimes, sometimes it just happens, doesn't it? And I think that's yeah. quite nice because you get, I guess you're more, um, like you're more into the conversation mm -hmm. rather than taking note of, oh, one of us is asking questions or the other one's making a point and, oh, what's the follow-up question to that? Like, you're like, actually, I'm just listening to you answer and it's like really cool to hear you talk. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And I think people respond well to that as, you know, also. Mm the audience yeah yeah so i've seen um from your website that you've done a, a few different bits and pieces before with um like radio and tv like where was mm -hmm. the f what was the first thing that you ever did um the first thing i ever did was actually a radio show back in my hometown of montreal so it was kind of interesting because it's very full circle to me to start this journey there yeah um the pr part of the journey and um i ended up staying on the show for the whole two hours normally they have a guest on and they do like a an eight to 15 minute segment and they asked me to stay so that was the first one it was it turned out really really great really wow. great they've actually repeated the show oh wow yeah 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 so that was good and then um I think the very next thing I did might have been uh the tv show there and then I've just been doing podcasts and other radio spots in between and I did another tv show here and in two weeks I do another one in Montreal oh wow so yeah, it's been, you know what, it's a topic that a lot of people are very unaware of. It's mm. one that's not spoken about a lot. And so I'm finding a lot of interest, which is really, really great because it's important. It's important that we understand what happens to these kids, right? Yeah. And why they leave. I think it's really interesting because I think um, from the little snippets and bits that I've I've read of your story and the, the things that you've spoken about, um it kind of touches on a few different things that you hear some people talk about, but it's the whole story together as well. It's, it's, um, it's not something I've heard before. It's not something you generally hear people talk about. So, mm -hmm. um, obviously the fact that you touch on, well, touch on, you touch on a little bit about mental health, but there's so much more going on there with regards to your story. Um, and I think for obviously me as a podcast that focuses on mental health, there's an interest there, but also more on, uh, recently where we've started to talk a little bit more about um, how young people are affected by mental health and actually mm -hmm. the huge impact of the different parts of your story that, that are there with um, obviously what goes on at home and then, and then not having a home and then that mm -hmm. journey that you can go through. So um, there's so many kind of interesting points there and to see um, someone that's gone through that process and kind of come out the other side for a lack of a better that's um, how I put it so, too, yeah so. <laughs> um yeah. to to be at the stage where not only have you come through that but actually you're able to to talk about it to share your experience um and to do some other stuff that we'll obviously talk about later on um mm -hmm. but for those people that haven't done the background reading that I have <laughs> um can yeah. you tell us kind of a little bit of an overview about your story and your journey um, yeah, of course. So I, I was I was born into, for lack of a better way of putting it, an <laughs> upper middle class home, a, a home that from the outside you would never think that there were uh, there was any sort of abuse or major dysfunction going on, because from the outside it looked like everybody you know was well put together, um, educated, um, just you know good. 
people kind of thing. And it was mm. all really a facade. And the problem was there was a lot of abuse going on, a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of um, neglect. I mean, I was five years old when my mother dropped me out of a two-story window, um, resulting in my breaking both of my arms. Um, and these are the things that people, you know, because of the lies that were told and the things that get covered up, as a child growing up, you have to find a way to escape. And, and some children start to escape into substance abuse, um, or we hear about children now that are cutting, mm-hmm. um, or, um, you know, anorexia, all different sorts of problems and, and ways that they cope with it. For me, I began to cope with it by running away from home. And it's a really sad state when you realize a child would rather be victimized by somebody on the streets, by somebody that they're not supposed to be cared about, you know, that that's not supposed to love them Mm. than to be in a home where you have like a bed and three meals a day and a bathroom and, you know, all the amenities. But the abuse is coming from someone who isn't just abusing you, but breaking your heart in the process and in a very different way. Right. Yeah. I think kind of my story. Yeah. It's so interesting. And the way you put it is um a great way to put it across is that you can have uh, a young person in that situation where um and i think it's it's not just that oh they um you don't appreciate the situation you're in like you say with um having a roof over your head having meals and and that is the recognition that that actually is a good thing but that good thing is not worth it for mm-hmm. for the troubles for the 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 abuse that you're going through in that situation um and again um kind of that recognition that actually by by running away by by leaving the home you are putting yourself at danger um from well from anything and everyone that that can be out there but that 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 risk is still worth it um as a young person and yeah uh there's so many people that i think that uh, your story probably relates to that we're just not aware of that get given that kind of I don't know the label of a a runaway or a, or someone that's kind of misbehaving mm-hmm. uh, and there isn't that understanding of that backstory and I think that's quite a a very important point um, that should be noted within your story as well. For sure, because, you know, the problem is, is that as long as we, uh, as a society, label these children as being bad, mm. as being rebellious, as trying to, you know, manipulate the family to get their way by running away, as long as we as a society look at it that way, we will never treat the problem effectively. As long as we don't really hold the people responsible that we should be holding responsible, you know, it, it children don't run away from from all these amenities and find safety in the streets unless there's something really, really wrong. And I'm not talking about the child that, you know, packs the bag, like, you know, in the cartoon, you know, with the stick in the thing. And, you know, we're not talking about that kid that threatens to do it when they're seven years old and doesn't ultimately run away, you know, sits on the stoop. We're talking about the children that run away over and over again, keep getting returned back into the same home because they've been painted it is just being a problem child and problem children aren't born they're made Mm. and and they're made because of the problems within the within the household and if if there was a system in place where when a child runs away and the reporting goes through where the family is immediately referred into therapy to be able to continue to be that child's parents, we would see a lot less repeat. And some of the parents that are even abusing children emotionally, for example, aren't aware many times of the damage that it's doing, or maybe suffering from mental health health issues that are undiagnosed. So there's there's a really broad spectrum here. And then you have the other end where, you know, the abuse is so heinous, you know that they're aware and it's not salvageable. And then we have to look at alternatives like boarding schools for these children. And when I say boarding school, I mean mainstreaming them. Yep. Um, not group homes and not foster homes. I mean, putting them in an environment where they can actually have their self-esteem built up, um, live in a, in a safe space, and and begin to accomplish things so that they can be productive members of society later on. I think, so it's, yeah, sorry. it's 
it touched on a couple oh, I haven't quite got down with this note making yet <laughs> um, <laughs> it touched on a couple of things I think a big one of those is um, kind of the 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 abuse by by the adult by the carer by the parent um, and having kind of correct recognition and reporting of that and I think more and more I think um, in the UK that we're starting to get that where um, we have um, kind of reporting services that have to link in together um, so that if one person is aware of something that has to be passed on and we're starting to get to a stage where I think that is much better however the other side of what you've mentioned as well is is the mental health of that parent carer um mm-hmm. is actually the again it touches on something that we don't talk about widely that isn't recognized that um maybe um that person has been diagnosed and um they they or someone is aware of that but it's how that Im- sort of impairs impairs um imparts on on the child or the young people that they're around um but also for a large amount of people where that isn't diagnosed um and the impact that that's going to have on a young person we all recognize the importance of things like um try not to act in a certain way or say certain words in front of young people because Mm -hmm. we know they do copy and replicate and essentially that's how they're learning um but to say oh this young person is around someone that actually has these types of difficulties or this sort of situation um and for whatever reason not talk about that seems just baffling um but it's because it's part of that topic that we as a society still avoid talking about i think yeah i i think there's also you know i think we we live in in a society now where or have for many years mm. where we treat the symptom you know we we yeah. treat what's loudest so when you have a child who's running away from, and acting out you you're treating that mm. and we don't go back and and treat the root cause of the disease if you will you know and it's really interesting because you know if someone has cancer you treat it and and you want to see where the tumors are and you're making sure that you're um, attacking them directly and at their root to, in order to save that person's life mm. but when when you have a child who's running away from home and they're being abused, we, we're not going back and treating the family unit and looking at where it began and why it is and, and moving forward with that. So, you know, again, in, until we really go backwards in, in this and go right from the beginning and right at the foundation and hit it at the foundation, it isn't going to change. I will say, however, you know, kudos to the UK because you guys are light years ahead of Canada and the US in terms of your foster care system because you guys have been um, experimenting and doing studies on the boarding school, mainstreaming kids into boarding school, I think for the last 15 years, very successfully. And it's interesting because I think part of it happened because uh, less people were willing to be foster carers. Mm. Um, So they had to find a place to put the kids. And so what they ended up doing is taking a a bunch of these at-risk children that would ordinarily have gone into foster homes. They put them into boarding schools. And I mean, I'm talking really good schools and they've done phenomenally well. The gap now lies within um, the social workers not wanting for some reason to go uh, boarding school over foster homes. So now they're kind of the gatekeepers of that, which is something that you guys need to work on. But I I wish that um, Canada and the U.S. was doing that much more, um, you know, much more on a whole. And it's also less expensive, too. So it makes sense on every front. Sorry. No, I think it's ironic how... Um, even our great decisions are based on finance. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I wish it was all to do with heart and the best honour to do things. But you know, yeah. well, you never know. You never know. Well, I mean, in that case, though, the boarding schools are actually more cost effective than than using the foster care system. Yeah, well, um, I, I kind of feel like maybe the social workers, from the bits and pieces I've read, feel like, well, if we have too many successful children, we might be out of a job. Mm. You know, and I hate to say that because it sounds so jaded but at at some point you know that part of it does factor in I think yeah I think I've I've definitely heard and seen uh, a lot of advertisements recently for for local foster carers and um, Mm -hmm. it does seem that it's 
particularly I think in the last 12 months it's really pushed I don't know if it's nationally but definitely locally in my area they put they push it quite a lot um and speak of the benefits of um uh being able to be there as like a mentor or a carer for somebody and the financial support that you get as part of that Mm -hmm. um and it does make you wonder that obviously that advertisement on its own arguably is probably costing quite a lot um as to how desperate they are to get more and more people um to be in that situation where they can support those young people so it doesn't drain on one particular area but if there's another system that works i mean yeah i don't know i'm not sure um like you say uh, is a lot more of it about yes we obviously need to support those young people that are in that situation but looking at the what's causing that in the first place and trying to um work out a a system where we can cut down on the number of people that are running away that feel the need to run away Mm -hmm. um or be in that situation and um i think something you mentioned earlier about being returned it's not a case of children deciding actually yeah i'll I'll go home they're, they're forcibly returned to the home that they've left and that's why you have um uh, con- I'm not sure continued kind of runaways from the same home or continued kind of issues and um, I'd like to think at some stage um, that there's obviously some sort of uh, government or local authority involvement there but it's at a stage where kind of there have already been signals beforehand and how we recognize and talk about that um, at a much earlier stage. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, the other thing that people don't recognize um, is that these children don't trust anybody. So let's say, for example, well, my myself, like there were a couple of police officers that would turn up and find me, you know, hiding under somebody's bed or um, at one point someone's closet or they'd find me in a field, where, wherever it is they'd find me and they would bring me home. And the one time that was really interesting was the time that they actually coaxed me out from underneath the bed and I come out from underneath the bed and and they, they could not have been kinder and could not have been softer and and it like looking back on it it was it's evident to me now that they knew that there was something wrong within the home mm. but they could have asked me 10 million questions for 10 million hours at that point and you know in that moment in time and I would not have divulged why I was running mm. because one abusers um brain, excuse me, brainwash their children into believing that it's their fault for the abuse, that they deserve yeah. what's happening. So for me to say, well, my mother was doing this, that, and the other would be me saying, well, I'm really bad. And, and so, you know, that's why I keep running away from home because I deserve that. You know what mm, I mean? Yeah. And for me to trust them enough to say that and then not um, suffer the consequences for outing my mother would have been another issue. And then the, the third part of it, um, and a lot of adult survivors of abuse will tell you this, that as children, they would be terrified of obliterating the family unit. They would be afraid of their parents being incarcerated because as much as you are sad and hurt and mm-hmm. angry and frustrated, those are still your parents and you still love them and you still need their love. Mm. So not referring these children and the parents into some sort of um, real counseling for a minimum period of, you know, weekly for, let's say, three months where they can build trust and relationships is is phenomenally irresponsible because it's costing the system one way or the other. So if you think about it and you, and you provide these services and you make them mandatory for this period of time, um, you you're undoing the, the the damage and you're improving the future relationship and maybe the kids will stop running because the family unit becomes healthy. Hmm. I think, um, like you started to touch on there as well, is that your choice to, to run away affects you primarily, whereas if you report, you feel like that's going to affect everybody and then you feel like it's you that makes that situation worse. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's fear also. There's fear of not being believed. Um, for me, a lot of the abuse was emotional. So I couldn't show a bruise. I couldn't show a scar. I couldn't, you know, um, when the incident happened with the window, I was I was told what story to tell. And I stuck to that story for many years out of fear of, you know, further punishment. So, 
you know, that would have been the only tangible evidence that I would have had as a young child to say, look what my mother did to me, but I was too scared to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it's a problem and, and a lot, there's a lack of common sense too. I mean, it's amazing to me how many people really do truly in their heart of hearts believe that when a child runs away from home, they're just a bad kid. Like mm-hmm. it, it blows my mind, it blows my mind. Psychologists, police officers, judges, everyone. So people even in positions of power, people like when a psychologist is 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 treating it as the problem child, you know, you have a real problem. You know, (laughs) I think it's it's that idea that I can kind of get in my head that as a general as a member of general public that they wouldn't understand that situation but when you give those situations of people that sit in power people that are aware of those situations happening that have probably been there when um some of those situations have been reported or gone through some sort of case file process that they potentially don't believe or don't associate with that young person's story is quite dangerous is quite dangerous yeah for sure it's it's dangerous and and it's heartbreaking Mm. you know it's it's just heartbreaking and um that that's why I do what I do that's why I'm speaking out and that's why I'm telling my story and and you know if 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 more people like me that have been in this situation speak out and educate the public then hopefully we can bring about some sort of change in how these children are dealt with I think it makes a big difference as well when it's a when it's a personal story I think Mm -hmm. people link in a lot more with that and they will um, take on board some of the more general discussions or principles that you want to talk about if you've got that um, like this is what I did or this is what happened to me this is my story Um, I think people take that on board a lot more I don't know if you found that when you've uh, obviously done sort of the TV radio when you've spoken to people um, directly um, whether they kind of take on board a little bit more of what you're talking about because it's you yeah yeah for sure they do because they you know you're connecting it with a human face now you know it's not just something that you're reading in some article somewhere you're actually connecting it to someone and and when you look at me I mean would you would you assume that I was ever homeless for example you know so it really makes you think about um, different people's realities. And, and I think it's, it will ultimately, my story will sensitize people to that. And, and it's interesting for me because when I first started speaking, um, there was still that little voice of, of how I was raised. So when I was 17 years old and I was returned, um, back into my mother's care by the system, um, this is the first time I had seen my entire family in three and a half years. Mm. And I was in Montreal and everyone was there and there was never a moment, um, where anybody really said to me, Hey, you know, how did you survive? Like what happened to you? Where did you go? It was more like, look what you did to our family. Look what you did to us. Look how you destroyed us. Um, you know, so I kind of carried that voice with me a little bit when I started to speak out and I was a little concerned about that as irrational as that sounds. And the reason I'm making a point of this is, is you have to understand how deep these emotional wounds are. And if I now at 50, I'm outing myself here. If I now at 50, 50, which is, you know, 30 some odd years later, still have that feeling. Mm. Imagine a child that's being picked up by a police officer who's being questioned, why did you run away from home? Mm. How are they going to have the courage to speak out? I think it's, it's just so difficult, isn't it, to put yourself in that situation where you are that young person. And that's why it makes such a difference for you, for, for you particularly to talk about having been that young person in that situation um that you don't have to imagine or think about like you can tell us what it was Mm -hmm. like um because i just can't imagine being in that situation where um you you're in that you're in the situation where you have to or you feel like you need to to run away um you you get away and then you're being brought back taken back to that situation you um, I have that kind of self-doubt in your mind and I imagine like you say that that uh, last time when you were away for sort of three or so years 
you've felt i i guess in some way like you've kind of moved away from that it's a period of time where you may have adjusted slightly to to the way that you were living and to be thrown back into that i think kind of builds back that idea that um this is my fault i'm never going to get away from this Mm -hmm. and really affects your mind probably a lot more at that time than you realize and so like you say 10 20 30 years later it's so hard to say oh oh, just because of that i thought that way and now i'm older and wiser and i know more about the world and it's changed the way i think that that process as a young person um and as a developing person in your teens it's going to hugely affect the way that you think and that process and that's not something that you can very easily change even over a period of time um and i think that's a huge thing that we we are talking about children and young people we're not talking about adults um Mm -hmm. we're talking about people that are affected in a way that just isn't measurable yeah no it's it's not and that's why you know that's why also a lot of them when they a lot of kids when they do run away i was really fortunate that i didn't um fall into alcohol or drugs and a lot of that had to do with um my mother was always on a substance and i i viewed her as being out of control so i was afraid to be out of control Mm. but i also understand from not just being a runaway but being around other other homeless kids you know you you want to escape in your mind because you just don't feel like you have any hope or anything to live for and and you're hungry and you're tired and maybe you're scared. Um, some of them are just numb and the ones that aren't numb are going to numb themselves out. And then, and then what do we do as a society? We blame them. We judge them. We don't, don't recognize, you know, that, that they, they need help. We, we further punish them by, by adding a stigma to them. You know, oh, you're just a drug addict. Well, why, why are you 14 years old and, you know, uh, strung out on drugs? Oh, you just decided one day that that would be a good idea. Like it's mind boggling the lack of connection that we make so often because Mm. we're too busy judging, you know? Yeah. Like you say, it's a case of dealing with the symptom rather than the cause. I think a lot of the Mm -hmm. time as well. Um, So interesting. You touched on a little bit like what it was like kind of living on the streets a little bit more and being around other people that were obviously in a similar situation to yourself and trying to survive um, without a home at that time. I mean, what was that like kind of going day to day and not necessarily knowing where you were going to stay or where your meals were coming from or how did you manage to kind of get through that, especially those times where you've got a long period of time where you were away from your home and that kind of started to become your life? You know, it's interesting, and I I don't know if this is the way it is with every single runaway, but you're not thinking five minutes ahead. You're really living in this space that you're in. Mm. Um, And in the space that you're in, you're just trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to get some food, you know, or how am I going to um, find a bathroom to clean myself up a little bit? Um, In the early days when I ran, I was sleeping on um, park benches and in a bed in buildings. And there were times where three or four days would go by without eating. I was too um, prideful to, to beg for money, mm. um, which probably was stupid <laughs> looking back, <laughs> you know, but that's just how I was for whatever reason. I, I was too embarrassed, you know. Um, so I would hang out by like a, a convenience store and I would go inside and, and straighten out the shelves. And sometimes like a manager would give me some food or somebody would come out and give me some change or give me a carton of milk or, or whatever it was. Mm. And I spent, um, quite a, a lot of the early days that way. And then uh, at one point I met another girl who had been a runaway much longer than I had. And at this point, I would say I was about 14. And so she was housing herself in a um, sauna of an apartment building complex, which is great because Mm. it's got a shower, you know, it's, um, we didn't know how to work the sauna, so I can't (laughs) say it was reasonably warm. (laughs) 
<laughs> and even if we had, we were afraid of alerting people. So we didn't want to, one night, like we tried to experiment a little bit yeah. and realized we were making noise and we were, you know, in danger of discovery. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of, you know, that, that kind of became our home for some period of time on and off. Um, and we would steal food, you know, we would go into like a, a supermarket and, and eat along the, along the aisles and technology wasn't then what it is now. Um, but we did get caught one time and we did end up getting arrested and thrown into juvenile hall. And then I, I think that time was the time that I was in a, um, a group home. I didn't last through the night. I ran from the group home cause that's what we do, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we, we don't, we don't trust any environment that we're in. So that's how I spent a lot of my time until I found uh, my first job at 14 as a cocktail waitress, which is incredible to me because I know I looked 11. Um, <laughs> but back then, you know, there was people didn't care. They didn't have to pay you. You worked yeah. for tips. And um, it worked out for me because I was able to actually figure out how to, you know, house myself and pay rent. And that's the difference between being a runaway that falls into drugs and one that doesn't, you mm. know, um, we find a way to provide for ourselves. Yeah. And kind of that determination to make the best of of what you've got. And the yeah. Your story about being in the sauna, it's a really interesting one because, like you say, you're in that situation where actually that could be could be really nice, but it's still not worth that risk of making more noise and being found out. We'd rather stay here and although there is something yeah. that we'd quite like to use, we, we won't use it because it's more important for us to continue to live here than have one or two nights worth of like luxury and then have to leave again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, think about it. I mean, to us, it was the difference. You know, it's kind of like this. Um, park bench would have been like a Motel 6, right? Yeah. An abandoned building might have been like a Holiday Inn and the sauna would have been like the Four Seasons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Which which is, would, like, it sounds great. It, like, it sounds funny. I can laugh at it now. But the fact of the matter was that we had no pillows. We had no blankets. Mm. So we're sleeping on these wooden slats with the little bit of clothing that we have tucked under us and over us. And, um, you know, I mean, it was still better than, than living the abuse at home because at least here, you know, there, there were days that nobody was messing with me. Nobody was hurting me. And, and on the days that I was, you know, um, unfortunately a victim because children that are abused are groomed to be victims. Mm. It still wasn't worse than my best day in my house. And, and that's what people need to take away from this, that, you know, when, when you're, when your own, in my case, when your own mother who is supposed to love and care for you doesn't, and, and on the contrary, abuses you, that's worse than being assaulted by a stranger mm. because it's more hurtful, you know, yeah. emotionally. I think because you've got that, um, the for for both situations if it's a say it's a parent or a stranger you've obviously got the physical acts that come with that but like you say i think when it's someone you know um there's so much more that happens to your mind in that situation the self-doubt mm -hmm. that this is someone that is supposed to love me this is a person that's kind of most important this is a person that looks after me if this is what someone like that is like with me then what is someone else going to be like um and it can cause so many issues further down the line as well so it's really good to hear that even in that situation, you were still able to, like you say, go out and, and still make friends while you're living on the street. You were still able to go out and look for work and find work and interact with with other people and with adults as well. Um, and it wasn't a case of that's what this adult is like and all adults are like that. You still mm -hmm. had that, um, I don't want to say common sense, but that kind of knowledge that actually that's one person, that's not what everyone is like. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely expands how you look at the world, you know, mm. um, and even so like children that that are in abusive homes that don't have access to other homes don't realize that what they're going through is not normal as well. So it's kind of an interesting thing for me, like the 
the reason that I ended up running away the final time was because the year prior I had spent in boarding school and I had spent this really normal, um, same day, every day kind of existence and begun to feel safe. And I was just in a very good place emotionally. Mm -hmm. And my mother informed me I wouldn't be going back there. And that's what caused the final break for me. Like I, I couldn't go backwards now that I got a taste of normalcy. Um, so I really went from, you know, one extreme to another and, and as, as children of abuse, we learn how to survive very early on. Um, and that's why when these kids hit the streets, some of them do quite well actually, because they have the survival skills, unfortunately, unfortunately, right. Unfortunate that they have to have them. Unfortunately, they're able to use them. Yeah. I think it's that real, um, it's that real sort of sink or swim environment isn't it like you say so many people will struggle and fall into that situation where um drugs and alcohol or other sorts of abuse are going to become kind of a a part of their life that they're not able to move away from or they engage in a different type of abuse there um and i think you also get people that actually like yourself will, will try and find work will try to do different things or um find something that attracts them to other people um whether that's helping out being positive maybe Mm -hmm. they've got some sort of talent or craft and and they're able to um do some busking and things like that there's there's Mm -hmm. lots of different ways that you start to see people i think come out and utilize that and you do um i think you see a lot of people that as they grow not necessarily grow up but as they're a little bit older and they reflect on that you can see that through their journey so obviously for yourself being able to come out and talk about um your own story and the way that it's it's kind of you coming out and talking about it and doing all these different um kind of interviews talk shows and things like that it's very much quite an independent thing i would imagine where um you make yourself as available as possible and you talk to different people you engage with a lot of people um and a lot of that comes from kind of self-confidence and being able to talk about your own experience and i wonder um, whether someone that hadn't run away from home and had just maybe survived through that trauma would um, have that kind of outlook and those kind of characteristics. And I think it's also looking at the 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 strengths that you've developed through that experience as well. Yeah, yeah. And you know, well, I, I do I do have a, a fair amount of contact with like adult survivors that, mm. that didn't end up running away from home. And w- what I kind of feel like is it takes them a little bit longer um, than it's taken me for, for whatever reason. And, and that could be because I've lived on my own longer. So I was an adult longer in a way, right? Mm, so yeah. developmentally, I, 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 I began to do things ahead of them. Maybe, um, I, I don't know the answer to that. I never thought about it until you just, um, yeah. brought it up, but I do see it now that you mention it, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think when you, when you talk about being sort of 14 and, um, yes you've run away but you're you're essentially living on your own um Mm -hmm. you're going out you're finding work um you're trying to interact and think of different ways that you can make money live um and while there is obviously still that effect of abuse you've got something else going on that you're focusing on um and for for people that are still in that situation or don't feel that they can get away or um are stuck for whatever reason they don't have that opportunity to develop those skills and i think um they will potentially develop other skills um that we're not mentioning or looking at at the moment um but i think that's probably a different sort of route way that they go through um and so for you to obviously be able to to draw on those strengths and that that independence that you've built up in that time um yes you would have been returned home but again you 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 left or you did something else and um following on from that you can see the kind of the characteristics that have led to i think um where you are now Mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah for sure i mean you know it's made me uh, ironically it's made me a stronger better person um and it, it makes me you know i i do try to take the good out of any experience that I can. And, Mm -hmm. and some of the good that's come out of it is I can relate to any person from any walk of life and with very little judgment. I mean, I'm human. We all have a a moment, you know, um, of, I will call that weakness. Um, but for the most part, like I, 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 I have an understanding for people that 
I think is unique because I was a child of the streets and because I've lived with nothing and because I know what it is to struggle and go hungry. And, and likewise, I have an appreciation for my, what would be my worst day now could never be as bad as any of that. Right. Mm, yeah. So it, 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 how we how we view the world and how we take our negative experiences and how we decide to to um, recover from from them is really a decision. It's really a choice. You know, it's a it, it's a very conscious decision to look at the upside of it rather than the downside of it. Mm, and now I'm trying to continue to do something good from it um, because I think that's that's the best way to to live life. You know, it's paying it forward. I guess. Yeah, and I think you can see that through, obviously, the, the, the promotion of your story, through the book and the interviews that you do. But you also do um, some work with adult survivors as well. Um, so I don't know if you can tell us a little bit about some of your experience kind of talking with different people in different situations they've been in. Yeah, I mean, basically, so what I kind of do now, I mean, I'm starting to do some public speaking, and that's really my goal to be able to do that more and to help in that that area. Um, but I have, because of the book coming out and because of the interviews, I mean, people message me or they may call me, and, and they're in different spaces of, of recovery, maybe just beginning. I'm finding it more often with younger people. And I'm doing everything that I can to help them because I've been there and I understand them. Um, I, I understand when you're in the middle of um, just everything in your life is a trigger kind of thing. So uh, I'm I'm helping those that reach out to me in the best way that I can. And I just want to say, like, I'm not a therapist, so I'm also encouraging them very strongly to get professional professional counseling as well. But just by yeah. being their friend and a person that's been there, I am um, interacting with these people and I'm learning a lot from them as well. So it's, it's healing on so many levels because even though I'm very much on the other side now, I'm always growing and I'm always healing from Mm -hmm. something because, you know, that's just life's journey, right? We're never fully there. (laughs) I think it's, it's so important as well though, because we are talking about, uh, situations and experiences, like we said before, that people struggle to talk about or don't always recognize and, are definitely um, reluctant to to report or seek advice for or don't know where to go. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time it is um, someone that isn't an expert, someone that is a bit more, this is my story and I will talk about it, um, that is more appealing to definitely to young people, but I think also Mm -hmm. to adults as well, is that I can kind of talk to this person. They will not necessarily understand, but they will get it a bit more. and they're not gonna like there's not necessarily any um, negative repercussions from that like if I tell you it's not gonna be reported but I get to talk to you about what's going on and sometimes I think that's just what people need is they need that opportunity to to talk to somebody else that's been in a similar situation and have um, some sort of I guess like a recognition of of their situation acknowledgement of it um, and also I think deep down, like none of us want to be alone. Um, Mm -hmm. And it is that need to feel like someone else has been here and I can talk to them about it. Um, Yeah, they understand. And there's no judgment, you know, because you know, they've been there. And that's, that's a big part of it because um, we're taught, you know, through the abuse to be ashamed and that's what keeps victims quiet. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you see that somebody is coming out of that and that they're not being ashamed of the things that happened to them, it, it allows somebody else who's still stuck in that place to begin to let go and to begin to put things into the perspective that they should should have been in in the first place. I mean, obviously, the, the shame belongs to the perpetrator, not the victim. Um, but then again, if the perpetrator could feel shame, they probably wouldn't have victimized the person yeah. in the first place. So there's that. There is. Um, and I think it's also worth recognizing as well that potentially that person could have been affected by something in their younger life as well and Mm -hmm. i think again reinforcing the fact that that's part of what makes your story so great um is that you have taken all of those positive steps um 
when you were younger to try and find that work and that safe environment now to talk to other people and allow them to talk to you and kind of raise awareness um, in a general sense, but also helping those individual people that you're speaking to as well. So that makes a huge difference, I think. Um, and being out there to say, like I said, it's not an abstract story. Um, it is your story and you do put your face on it, so to speak. Um, so it's very <laughs> much about doing that. Um, and I think that makes a huge difference to, like I say, to the people that want to talk to you as well. Sorry? I think to the, to those people that um, want to reach out and want to talk to someone and it makes you more approachable to those people. Yeah, yeah, which is what I want. I mean, you know, and, and as I said before, it's also healing for me. You know, mm. it's um, it, it's gratifying to, to help somebody else and, and we're always learning every day. And so when you're making these very um, human connections and very deep connections with people, it's, it, it, it's a little selfish on my part in a way as well, because it also feeds me, you know, so yeah. I'm, I'm really, I, I feel really fortunate for the journey that I'm on. I didn't know what to expect when, when I wrote the book, I, I did it because I wanted, w- when I had returned home, there was no book out there that, that made me feel less alone. Like there was nothing out there really about the runaway experience. And now there's a variety out there, but I felt like my story needed to be told. I I had no idea this is what I would be doing now with it. So I I feel really lucky. And there is one thing I wanted to touch on that um, I found out through looking at a couple of the clips on your website, which I'm Mm -hmm. pretty shocked at. Like you, (laughs) (laughs) um, so your grandma <laughs> can i tell you i knew that was coming <laughs> i am I, uh, you know it's so funny because whenever this comes up my eldest daughter i think she just loves it loves it extra um and i'm not just recently one by the way um i i had my eldest daughter when i was 17 okay. and it's actually the reason i i got returned home because um at the time I was living in, in the U.S. and social services is required to report a minor that has a child okay. to the family. Um, so because I had her so young, that's why I'm a grandmother at 50 to a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, oh <laughs> which is insane because I have two younger siblings that have children that are younger than my grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> we have a really interesting family on my father's side. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's funny <laughs> but I'm like the if you can imagine I'm the cool grandma so it's all good and yeah. they call me Mimi <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it's good it's good I'm lucky um so what's it kind of like for for your family around you now not necessarily to know your story but um to kind of see you um out and talking about your own history and um kind of being someone that is on on tv and radio and what's it like for them I, I, you know, I think there's kind of a mixed bag going on. I mean, my mother's side of the family, I couldn't tell you. I have a couple of cousins um, on that side of the family who have come out of the woodwork that I didn't grow up close to that are really supportive and and really proud of me. Um, My children are phenomenally proud of me and supportive of me. They knew a lot of the story, but now they know everything. Mm. And it's really brought us closer together. And, um, I like to think we were already close, but like it's, it's bonded us in a different way now. I think I, I'm more human to them. Um, and then I have, um, some people on my mother's side of the, my father's side of the family that I know are very proud of me and supportive. And then I have some that I think are cringing a little bit because they feel maybe a, a bit of a loss of, of, privacy. Yeah. Um, and that's not the side of the family that was in any way responsible for the abuse that happened. Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up around them. Um, so that's a little difficult for me because I really, um, you know, like anybody would want their complete support, but I also understand that that's just the feeling that they have and, and, you know, that's just life sometimes. Yeah. I think that's the thing, isn't it? With putting yourself out there, you, you're doing that um, as I'm prepared to put myself out there. Um, and like you say, it's great to have the support of those people around you, but 
um it is very much about kind of getting your story out and talking mm-hmm. about sounds really weird doesn't it like talking about yourself is always seen as like a really weird <laughs> bad thing and I'm like but it's such a good thing i don't know it's the connotation in my mind i'm like yeah, talk yeah about no I, I agree with you it's a, it's a good thing because it's helping other people yeah. but it sounds so self-serving when you place it that yeah. way right <laughs> i'm like oh my god you're on a tv and the radio again <laughs> I know it's funny. It is. It's, it, <laughs> I try not to think about it too much. Like I get, I do get a little frustrated. Like I want them all to be, I, I don't want anyone to be hurt by, by yeah. what I'm doing, you know? And even the way that, uh, I wrote the book, it, it, it's very clear when you read it, that it's not vindictive. Yeah. Yes. I talk about all of the things that went on and my mother and that sort of thing, but I, I really didn't do it to get back at anybody. So it's mm. not written in that sort of tone it's written in a this is my story and I hope it connects to you sort of way without punishing anyone because Mm. it doesn't serve me grudges don't serve us being angry doesn't serve us and and when we carry those things with us the person that we're focused on is unaware of it so we're really wasting our energy you know yeah and I think it's the purpose of of what are you doing and why and before, yeah. from my point of view the the reason why you're talking about your story is to um actually make more people aware of it and to have some people um have an association with that and feel more able to talk about it and like you say if you've written it in a very negative tone of view um that's probably not really going to turn people onto it and if you um over it sometimes people won't associate too much with that so yeah. uh it's it's why you're writing it and i think that probably comes across in the way that you talk about the book and the way that it's written that um it is to engage with people and to raise awareness of of those situations obviously you're using your own um story and journey to narrate that but it is very much about kind of interacting with other people yeah for sure for sure because you know if if they don't like you said if they don't connect with it it's not going to help them and and it's not even going to help me for that matter i mean mm-hmm. we seek validation through the things that we do you know no matter what we do for a living or or maybe through volunteering or even as a parent we look for validation the the feedback that we get is what keeps us going right yeah. so it's very important and I think um, just to start to round off, there was one really nice quote. Um, that I'm not sure I've said it. I don't know. I think it's on the website somewhere. Um, was that you said um, it's really important to remember that we're not defined by our experiences, no matter how horrific they are. And I think that really comes across in um, like some people have such powerful stories and experiences that can be spoken about to raise awareness and to help other people. Um, but because it is such an extreme situation that really, um, stops them talking about it. Um, it's it's about the awareness that actually, do you know what? There's lots of people that have been through, um, lots of different things. Maybe no one has ever been through something exactly like what you've gone through. And that's why it's important for you to, to try and talk up, to reach out, um, and have that opportunity to help somebody else that maybe in the future might go through something that you've been through. And, um, if we never talk about anything um then no one's ever going to know and everyone is going to be alone um so the more that we talk about it the more that we have these conversations raise awareness um, and make those links the more open uh and honest uh and helpful and supportive i think our societies will be Oh, for sure. You know, and the more people are, are, are going to heal from from the things that have happened to them, you know, um, when you when you suffer abuse, whether it's physical, emotional or, or sexual, it leaves you feeling damaged and um it, it takes a long time to learn that those things don't define you, like you said from my quote there. And and it takes a long time to live a life where you don't feel like you're damaged goods. And I, I think that's phenomenally important because until you, in, until you realize that you're just as good as everybody else, 
kind of thing, um, you're not going to treat yourself well. So you're, you're doomed to be in relationships that are abusive and you're, you're doomed to, you know, not, not eat well and not maybe, you know, uh, treat your body well, treat your mind well, feed your mind and things like that because you don't feel deserving of it. So it's really important that we bring these things to light so that we understand that bad things happen to good people. Mm. And, and it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It, It just means that the person, you know, who actually victimized you is the bad person, you know, is, is the, is the, um, maybe mentally disturbed person, depending on, on the situation. I mean, for me, it's, it's a little hard for me to reconcile some things because my mother, and I, I know this will hit a lot of people, uh, you know, in front of people could be mother of the year, butter wouldn't melt in her mouth kind of thing. And behind closed doors, she was pretty horrific. So it showed that she could control her behavior. Yeah. So it's, that's a, that's a hard thing to reconcile. So I've just decided I'm not going to reconcile it. It's just is what it is, you know? Yeah. And I think it's also, I guess it's, it's recognition as well that, um, do you know what, if she had certain problems or issues, um, and need support or help for that, then that's fine. And that can come through other people. It doesn't have to come from you. Exactly. Uh, um, yeah. And I think it's, again, it's recognizing that, that, um, we're all one person, like you say, like no one person is worth more than somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time that we're, we're in a situation where you don't get to choose your, your family or the people that you grow up around. Um, those relationships are are there as a matter of fact. But as you grow up and different people will grow up and mature at different stages, you start to have a choice as to whether you surround yourself with people like that um, or if you want something different for yourself. Yeah. And that's a really, really hard decision. Um, Arguably, young people have a little bit less fear um, about the world um, and so have more of an opportunity to do that. But I think it's also, especially more and more, um, the securities and the things that are put in place around you, whether that is through love or through um, an abusive relationship, really are there to hinder that young person. Um, It might not always seem like that, but it stops them having that desire to go out and create their own life. Um, So it's about kind of recognising the relationships that you have with people. And like you say, you can go through um, a, a situation, whether it's good or bad, and recognize that obviously for yourself um having a parent that doesn't have um, a great mental health or something else going on and yes they definitely do need that support um but that doesn't have to come from the person that they have abused or offended and i think that's a really key thing that if we saw um something horrific happen on the streets and we say the the person that has committed that that offence does need support. They need rehabilitation. We don't say right. Let's put them into um, a prison cell with the person that they've offended and get them to talk it out and make sure they come out loving each other. It's recognised as two separate people that need separate types of support um, to move on with their own individual lives. And I don't think that should be any different just because you happen to be related. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. Unfortunately, when you're, you know, the family unit, and I, I mean like the extended family, mm. when, when a, a child is abused, they tend to protect the abuser. Yeah. Um, not because they don't want to protect the child, but because they have this really weird psychological need to protect the image of the family <laughs> over the child. Yeah. And it, it's, it's so common. So what ends up happening is that, you know, the child becomes the scapegoat, the child, you'll hear this a, a lot of times where if other family members will say, Oh, so-and-so, well, in my case, Marnie has been a liar since she was a small child. I, I had a family member say that about me quite recently, as a matter of fact, because she doesn't want to own up to the abuse. Mm. So as, as we grow, and we go through therapy and seek out the things that we need to do to become whole, um, oftentimes the, the child who's been abused as then an adult loses the entire family. And so ironically, as you're talking about the support and the things that that person needs, <laughs> yeah. they get this, the entire family. And that's what's happened to me. And it's very common. Um, and so the result is actually they don't get the support that they need because 
it's just been swept under the rug even further and it just continues the cycle. Um, I'm fortunate in my case that I did separate from my mother and I broke the cycle with my children mm. and not perfectly, but pretty well. And, and because they're, because we do have such a great way of communicating and because, you know, going to psychologists and getting help and support when you need it is looked upon as a positive thing in my family, um, with direct reference to my now adult children, Mm. they're better parents to their children. Well, there's one only that has children right now, but that's how it will continue. And that's another important reason for the dialogue. You know, that's why we need to speak about these things because cycles don't get broken on their own. Yeah. I think that's a a really nice point to start to come to a close. So if, uh, if people want to find out a little bit more about you, Marnie, or, um, have a look at things like your book or some of the other speaking, um, activities that you've done, where can they go to find you? So the best place to find me is on my website and it's Marnie, M-A-R-N-I-E, Grundman, G-R-U-N-D-M-A-N.com. Um, they can email me through there as well. So, uh, and I'm always responsive and, uh, they can find the book there. If they want the ebook, then they can just go on Amazon and either Google my name or the name of the book, which is missing a true story of a childhood lost. And finally, the other best way to get me is uh, on Twitter, which is just Marnie Grandman. Oh, that's right. You got in there quickly with your name. <laughs> you, <laughs> right haven't got, you haven't got underscores, dots, dashes. Wow. No, 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 no. But you know what? Grunman's not a hugely popular last name. So. Oh, okay. and, and, and Marnie is not a hugely popular first name. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Although I know lots and lots of them. Um, I was lucky. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when you have a name that's not as mainstream as, you know, <laughs> yeah. Mike. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome anytime. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, well, I've really enjoyed talking to you and hearing a little bit more about your story. Um, and it is, uh, it's, it's a really interesting story. So I definitely recommend um, that guys have a look on the website and find out a little bit more uh about you and like you say you've got the links there to the book and um there's some short video clips as well on the website which give you a little bit of information but um it's been great to talk to you and i really hope that maybe there's one person out there that listens to this and it kind of helps them talk up a little bit as well about whatever situation they might be in um and definitely add something to um that idea that mental health can be affected in a lot of different ways Um, And I think personally being able to hear you speak about the experiences that you've been through, um, actually seeing the strengths um, that can come from very difficult situations and um, traumas that we go through um, and how you can come out the other side and and have the opportunity to to not just go on to... um, survive but also thrive and i know you've got your own um kind of word that you use quite a lot um so to so th- th- i can't i can't say it. i've tried, i did try a couple of times before. sir, sir thriver yeah. and it, it's somebody that labeled me with it actually so it's a great term though it is it's, it's very hard to say that <laughs> um so it's a tongue twister yeah it definitely is i suppose that stops it becoming too popular and you can kind of keep that for your own <laughs> I'd like more people to use it. I think it's a great way of life. (laughs) It is. And it definitely gives across that strong message as well that comes from your story. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And and thank you for helping me raise awareness for runaways and homeless youth. I really appreciate it. No, that's okay. And like I say, I hope um, the people that are listening do um, go and kind of follow up and find out a little bit more about you and your story as well. And uh, and definitely maybe kind of maybe do their own little work and uh, research into it as well. Because I know it's, it's... it's a subject that's not widely spoken about or known about. Um, and I know a couple of people that I've had on the podcast before are particularly interested in um, young people and mental health. And I think there's a, a lot of stories uh, and information that are there for them to look into as well. So, For sure. Thank that's you. Good. No worries. Thank you for coming on, Marnie. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye.